My name is Jen Lennox, and you're listening to The Hex Files, a podcast that focuses on the dark side of art, history, culture, and crime, with new episodes airing every full moon. episode. I'm especially excited about this one because it's touching into a realm that we really haven't talked about yet, and that is dark music. So super excited to get this one started. I was joined for this episode by Steve, who's another member of the collective. He writes on the blog, so make sure you go head over to hexfilescollective.com and check out some of the cool articles that he has posted. He just recently wrote about a uh, town in California where the dead actually outnumber the living by an insane ratio. It's really interesting. You definitely have to go over there and check it out. Again, just like Columbine, this is a pretty long episode, so I'm not trying to delay too long or do too long of an intro, but I just want to go ahead and say, you know, don't forget to check out the new content that we've posted this month on hexfilescollective.com, in particular the anniversary of the Manson murders at the Tate House um, passed recently this month, um, earlier on in the month. So I wrote an article um, all about the legacy of 150 Cielo Drive, which is the house, you know, where unfortunately Sharon Tate and several other people met their horrific end at the hands of the Manson family. But what's interesting about that house is partially the story that came before the murders and then even more so, you know, what the house um, was used for after before, of course, it was ultimately um, demolished and the new house was built on top of it. Um, So you can head over again to the blog to hexfilescollective.com to check that out. Um, But otherwise, here is the latest episode. Enjoy. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jen. Thanks for coming on. I feel like this has been a long time coming because we've been talking about doing this episode, I think, for close to a year. Since day one. Since day one. Um, Steve was actually... So Steve is a member of the collective. So he was actually the first person to reach out to me after I started the Hex Files wanting to get involved, which was really cool. So we yeah, met up one night. started posting about it and I, I like jumped on it immediately. I was like, this is something I definitely want to get involved in. It was just like right up my alley. Yeah, and I'm super glad you did. But yeah. the, the first time we, we met to talk about mm-hmm. it, we actually started talking about doing this episode. Yeah, yeah we're throwing back and now, ideas. Yeah. yeah, and now we're finally doing it literally yeah. almost a year later because I think that that was in October. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Well, again, thank you so much for being yeah. here. I think we have a really cool yeah. episode today. Oh I think it's a little bit different than 
what you might expect. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, it's like ghosts and, you know, true crime and everything. And I think that this does fit into true crime too. I think this checks off a couple boxes. It really does. But then I really feel like it takes it Uh, way farther than a lot of the other stuff that we talk about. So Yeah, we're getting to some ridiculous um, stories. So without um, any further ado, we're going to be talking about um, some... Uh, black metal, black metal, yes. death metal crimes today. And I'm, Steve's going to be teaching us a little bit more about the difference between the two. But I mean, man, like these people are doing some fucked up shit or have done some <laughs> <laughs> fucked up stuff. Like, yeah. I feel like Norway and Sweden and like the metal scene within like these places is just a different world entirely. Like especially back yes. in like the eighties yeah. and nineties. Yeah, it's it was a really weird different scene. It's very very insular too. It's very it's hard to find information about it. Yeah, it's 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 very very much a contained scene. Um, so it, it, a lot of people don't really know much about it. So. We're gonna get into. We're gonna shine a little light. Yes, into from the from what information we could find, yes. and I'm just gonna go ahead and disclose before we even get a lot farther that there is gonna be a lot of names of people and towns <laughs> yes. being butchered because we we are doing our very best. <laughs> we are gonna try, but even hold off I mean, on the anger emails. Yeah, like we were saying before, you know, we even started recording. It's difficult to find even on, like going on YouTube and trying to go through interviews trying to find the correct pronunciation and then even if somebody happens yeah. to say their name with their accent it's <laughs> you're like I he just said his name and I still don't know how to pronounce Lots it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right well Steve you are my guest today okay. so I'm gonna yeah. have you go ahead and start first great yeah so I'm so excited to be here I'm so excited about this topic I started off my day with a big cup of coffee, black coffee, <laughs> appropriate, some black, even blacker metal. Um, I'm a great roommate. Like, it is, <laughs> it's a joy to just be woken up by satanic black metal just rattling the walls. You had to get in the so mood. You know? I had to get in the mindset. So um, I'm here. I'm ready. Um, I just kind of wanted to start by introducing listeners who might not be familiar to like a little bit of black metal history, like what it is. Um, I assume most people know like what metal is in general. Um, Black metal kind of falls under the umbrella of extreme metal. That's when you get into kind of like the death metal, like the, it kind of takes metal like steps further, like, and black metal kind of crosses that line by miles. Okay. So uh, black metal kind of came out of the eighties drawing influences from speed, thrash, and death metal, um, where these styles would kind of feature lower-pitched kind of growling vocals. You hear that kind of in stereotypical, like, death metal bands. Um, Black metal kind of takes that speedy element, but the vocals are more shrieks. Like, you you might have heard some, like, just in doing research, you might have heard some of these bands. The vocals are, like, really, like, throat-shredding screams and... It's very much about that kind of atmosphere, just kind of a witchy scream kind of sound. Um, one of the first, like, real quote-unquote black metal bands is uh, this band Venom, which formed in the late 70s. 
they're kind of the godfathers of black metal. Yeah, I run um, into their name a lot. Yes, so the term black metal actually came from their 1982 album titled Black Metal. So that's kind of where they the kind of gave the whole genre its, yeah, the, its name, came from this album. And um, we're going to be talking more about, like that. the 80s was like the first wave of black metal. We're going to be talking more about the 90s. This is when black metal was kind of fully realized and it's more like what we what we see as black metal today that was formed kind of in the early 90s. So that's more what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so we were talking about, a little bit about this earlier. Black metal takes itself super seriously. It's like a lot of, a lot of extreme metal. It's kind of like tongue-in-cheek. There are bands like, you know, it's, it's more like, like I say death metal is more like a threat. It is more like a, a, a slasher movie. Okay. You know, those movies can be kind of fun. You know, and we like, we know the gore. Some humor. Right, there's some humor. It's, you know, just like the Friday the 13th movies or Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, these are kind of fun horror movies. And that's where a lot of metal, like a lot of people see metal and they, they think it's very like dark and everything. But really it's like, they're kind of having fun with it. It's like a fun. Like it's theatrical. Yeah, it's theatrical. It's all about the show. It's very theatrical. You know, there are bands like Guar, you know. And they, they take <laughs> I have too. seen Guar on multiple occasions. Yeah. And, like, and they are incredible. Yeah, but it's and it's like, you know, it's a lot of violent imagery, but it's like cartoonish. You know, it's right. so far. They're running around on the right. stage in these ridiculous exactly. outfits. And yeah. you just can't help but be entertained. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's all about the show and it's all about, you know, it's all about entertainment. Now, black metal is like the opposite of that. Black yeah, metal black is metal like, is like... A snuff film, I feel like. (laughs) Whereas, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, metal is like a horror movie. Like it's all for show. It's it's entertainment. Black metal is like something you see on the dark web where you're like, (laughs) like, what did I just watch? Right. So I can never sleep again. Right. So yeah, black metal takes itself very seriously. This is like this is who we are. You know, this is we have a mission. We're taking down Christianity. You know, and this is. It's very much like part of who they are. It's very uh, purposeful. Yes, yeah. So it's a very insular scene, very misanthropic. You know, there it's not kind to outsiders. Um, yeah, that's you know, what we were kind of talking about before. It seems like it was like everyone kind of knew each other, yeah, yeah. and they, you know they knew everything that was going on. Mm. Um, I didn't get a chance to read through the whole book yet, unfortunately, but I picked up that. Lords of Chaos book mm. and you know they'll they'll pick out like a story and then they'll um you know they go through interviews with other musicians in the scene and ask them you know to comment on the specific event so you know it was almost it's almost like a high school like they all know each yes, other yeah. and they all know everyone's like yeah. you know the skeletons in everyone's closet mm-hmm. kind of a thing it's, yeah. it's a very interesting dynamic so yeah, so um, so yeah, it's 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 very underground, and they like they want to keep it that way. They're very much about like authenticity, like they like there's real black metal and there's right. there's a bunch of fake stuff out there, you know. And they're they're very much about being right. like, authentic, Even for... real. Like they're they're like the method actors of metal, like right. yeah. <laughs> they're the Daniel Day Lewis of of metal. It's they they take this on. It's more than just music. It's it's an identity. It's who they are. You know they are soldiers in this in this war that they have sort of imagined. Right, and if I may interject, just because I feel like this is a good time yeah. to bring this up. So Mayhem, a band that we'll be getting into mm-hmm. a little bit more. I mean, 
heavy hitters so, in the scene. Absolutely. So, you know, when they performed, they were trying to purposely, like, make their performance as shocking as possible so yes. that anyone who wasn't, like, a true black metal fan right. would yeah. leave. A lot, so, of, yeah, a lot of it's very intentional. It's just yeah, like, exactly. Like, they, they were not... If you're not in it, like... You're probably gonna run away. You screaming. yeah. <laughs> you, they want and they want yeah. you to leave. Right. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, this band Mayhem, you know, their performances included like these morbid stage props. They had mutilated pig heads impaled on pikes. They would throw pig heads into the crowd. Uh, their vocalist Dead would cut himself with knives and shards yeah. of glass on stage. And, you know, this was all in an effort to keep any quote-unquote posers or wimps, as Dead referred to them as. You know, they wanted them to leave their show. So a quote that I have from Dead is, We want to scare those who shouldn't be at our concerts, and they will have to escape through the emergency exit with party... (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, it gets better. (laughs) They will have to escape through the emergency exit with parts of their body missing so we can have something to throw around. The wimps will never understand it, and I won't explain it to them either. But they get pissed off at our shows, and that is what we want. If someone doesn't like blood and rotten flesh thrown in their face, they can fuck off. And that's exactly what they do. So I feel like I... I mean, I had that yeah. saved uh, for a little bit later, but I felt like... I mean, like you have I such mean, a hard time... I mean, if that doesn't paint the scene right. for and, like, you... You have such a hard time getting through that with a straight face. But like, I cannot stress enough, these guys are absolutely They're serious. completely serious. So but, serious. And it makes me laugh. Like, I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. Metalocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just makes me think of that show because yeah. they were completely serious, That's, but the situations yeah. and everything very were hilarious. Yeah. Um, another band that I've actually seen live, believe it or not, was yeah. Death Clock. <laughs> I, I've meant to see them. I, I oh my god, it was like stage show. Did they just do like a like a screen with the card with like the animation going on? They had they a screen with the animation, but then they were like right. actually yeah. playing as well. And who you know, I'm trying to remember the name of Brendan Small. Yes, it, exactly. Yeah. So he is like the main guitarist and I don't you know I'm sure the other voices in the show are not probably not the other musicians I, in the band but yeah. I know that he he's like the voices. front man right, yeah. yeah um but another thing that's so funny because I'm trying to watch these you know documentaries on mm-hmm. YouTube of these guys and a lot of them are in an English Anyway, right. but you know, when they are in English, their accents, I was trying not to laugh because <laughs> yeah. all I could think of was the characters right. yeah. from Metalocalypse because yeah. it's just dead on. Oh yeah. my God, it's I just think dead on. Their guitarists in the show are like Swedish or something. Yes. Like very like, yeah. So that's that's where they get Yeah, I think they kind of like have one like from each, you know, right. they probably like have a Norway Swedish one, Norwegian, Norwegian yeah. one. I know the main guy was like American, but yeah, yeah. that's the whole thing. Either way, pairing, yeah. I think that's what I'm going to be doing later tonight because <laughs> I've been thinking about it now for days yeah. while doing all this research yeah. and oh man, that's great. I miss what a great, that's a great, what show. a great show, right? Was, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's okay. So we got some education yeah. on yeah. the specifics of the black metal scene versus the death metal scene. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're definitely in some pretty, like, hardcore territory yeah. here. Like, these people were not we, a joke, and yeah. you will see why very shortly. We've all dipped our toes in. It's time to take a cool <laughs> All right, so the first story I have is about this guy, Nate Tram. 
Again, I'm going to apologize. Uh, a lot of these names are a little weird. Um, this is the lead singer of a Swedish black metal band, Silencer. They're, they're not one of the biggest names in the scene. Um, there's like there's like five or six bands that sort of like define black metal. These guys are uh, sort of lesser name known band, but uh, they have some crazy stories surrounding this guy. So I really wanted to get into some stuff about Natram. Um, I think we talked about this a little earlier. I had a lot of difficulty finding solid information on this guy. Uh, I had to scroll through a lot of like really rough translations on some Swedish websites, mm. like some Swedish news websites about this guy. So I was dealing with a lot of weird translations. And <laughs> as with like a lot of these stories and a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about today, it's, it's a lot of like conflicting stories. Yeah, like, I, I has, found that. Yes. So everyone has their own version of events. So it, a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about, it's, it's hard to nail down concrete facts about so it's a lot of like he said she said it's a lot of like and a lot, a lot of, of it seems stories. to be like rumors and stuff right yeah yeah so a lot of the, a lot of this stuff is you're gonna hear a lot of like allegedly's you're gonna hear <laughs> a lot of like quote supposedly. Unquote, yeah, supposedly so yeah and and like i said this is all taking place in the 90s this is the early days of the internet so a lot of these stories were circulated in like what did people do in the 90s like chat rooms like, I guess so. That was like AOL, that was like the AOL dialing AOL, up. Yeah, yeah, AOL chat rooms and stuff. Just like or, um, early or like, like there's message boards too. Yeah. Were like a big message thing. boards, chat rooms, things people today might not even remember. Um, Wait, so are you trying to so tell me there was these, black metal chat rooms? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure there were chat rooms for like any subject, That's but true. a lot of these stories circulated because these was like the early days of the internet. A lot of these stories pictures albums started circulating widely uh through the internet right so, and then it becomes a whisper down the line right. kind of thing yeah. so so yeah so like i said you know uh a lot of a lot of different sto- sides to these stories um so uh a lot of these fi- and i think a lot of the figures in black metal kind of take these stories and run with them there's almost a mythical quality to a lot of these people there's like you know the line between faction facts and, and rumor are kind of blurry mm-hmm. and they don't ever fight these rumors. It's always like, you know, in interviews always like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Right. Uh, I know. think in a way they enjoy them yeah, because I, I know like later down the line in the story I have, you know, the guy like, was basically saying like, no, let people think that right. because then they're going to think our band is like, like metal street. Crime. Right. It's exactly. Like, yeah. So I, I think they, they do a lot to propagate these rumors. They, they, they don't, they don't say no to anything, you know. It's always like, uh, you know, some people say that, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe some truth, maybe not, you know. So um, there's not a whole lot known about this guy Natran before his time in the band. Uh, he always appears at shows wrapped up in bloody bandages, whether that's real blood, his blood, someone else's blood, we don't know. <laughs> uh, but I've seen some pictures of this guy um, kind of portly, uh, not not a very attractive guy. He just kind of shows up looking real sloppy, covered in bloody bandages. And that's how he performed. Um, he would self harm a lot while recording the vocals for his album. Uh, I think their their debut album was "Death Pierce Me." Um, so while recording his vocals for this album, he would he would like cut himself in the studio and and bleed everywhere. So <laughs> I guess trying to did the to studios inform- charge extra. 
for that kind maybe of cleanup. They, yeah, maybe <laughs> they just they plan for cleaning crews if they're recording. Yeah, or maybe they music. just leave it know. there. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess he wanted that to inform his vocals, and uh, I actually gave this album a listen. Musically, it's like really good. It's like I would definitely. It's music I would listen to. Um, really solid kind of metal music, very atmospheric. And then this dude's vocals come in, and it is <laughs> oh, it no. is laughably bad. It, it really like, yeah, it's it is rough because it's it's like because it, like the first song like there's a mi- a minute in you're like oh this is kind of nice, and then he just comes in with this shriek, and it's like it's like you can't even take it seriously. It's <laughs> it, there, there's nothing like tough about it. It's just like it's it's bizarre. Maybe later I'll I'll show you. It's. It's some interesting. I, like after reading about this guy, I just I knew I knew I had to hear this album. So, uh, you know, probably could have made a better choice on your vocalist, but <laughs> you know, all all around, you know, not a bad band. Um, so one thing, like I was talking about, the images being spread on the internet. Uh, a famous image circulated of him performing one of these shows. He's all covered in bandages, and he has hooves for hands. Like mm-hmm. his his whole like upper arms are wrapped in in oh, wait, uh, bandages. Why do I feel like I've seen a picture of this and guy before? You just see hooves. Yes. Yeah. So um, apparently, during one of these recordings, he chopped off his hands and stuck pig feet into the bloody stumps. Um, having seen the picture, I'm I'm calling bullshit because <laughs> <laughs> you can. Uh, it's like. It's, you can see, like, a fist wrapped in these bandages, and, like, you just see, like, the little hooves poking out of the bandages, so... It just sounds uh, like this guy is falling short in, like, everything he's... Right, yeah. Everything he's attempting <laughs> to one, do. You have one job, just, just saying, right. we don't need the pig feet, like... <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I, I, don't, I don't really buy that. I, I, think he's, I think that was just kind of shock value. Um, so, big story about this guy, around the year 2000... Uh, he allegedly attacked a five-year-old girl hitting her... Allegedly. Allegedly. There's that word. You can hear it a lot. Uh, he hit her in the head with an axe, like the back of an axe. Uh, when Wait, how old was she? She was five years old. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This is this is coming from the Swedish news website, so I'm, I'm piecing this together as best as I can. <laughs> okay. Um, so when so police, far, so good. Yeah. W- when police arrived on the scene, apparently he attempted suicide by police... He's yelling, kill me, kill me, and just, you know, standing over this bloody body. So, you know, it's, details are a little fuzzy. The, there's actually, it's rumored that it was actually his brother, Patrick, that did this. Um, some say it didn't even happen at all. So. Now, who would, you know, do we know who the girl was? Like, was there any kind of relation or she was random? No relation. It, as far as I could tell, it was just a random girl. I think it happened at a park or something. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. So, um, regardless of all, any of the rumors, we are, as far as I can gather, we're pretty sure he did actually spend time in a psychiatric hospital. So, um, regardless of what's true, what's not, he definitely was a psych patient. Um, definitely deranged on some level. I mean, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> right? Yeah, I would buy that part. <laughs> if nothing else, I would buy that part. Um, currently... Uh, last anyone's heard, he's writing, he, uh, published a book in 2011 entitled Pig's Heart. So, hmm. so he's trying to cash in on his like weird reputation, but, um, that's uh, about the last anyone's ever heard from him. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. 
Maybe he's still in that psychiatric ward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> with his pig hands. Yeah, I mean, stick with what you're comfortable with. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for um, my first story, I'm going to be talking about a um, a member of the band Emperor, uh, mm-hmm. Bard Faust Ethan. So. He was a heavily involved member of the Norwegian metal scene. He played in bands like Stigma, Diabolicum, Thorns, and of course, one of the more well-known bands in the Norwegian metal scene, um, Emperor. And there's actually, I I mean, I guess I should have organized this a little better, but there is a quote that I'd like to use here i just gotta find it sorry i'm like always doing this i'm always looking for stuff but i mean if we're going to be talking about norwegian metal bands i feel like here is the time to kind of touch so i was i was just you know scrolling the internet like doing Mm. my research and i happened upon what i found to be an interesting description or how someone once described the norwegian metal scene so They described it as metal, gangster rap, the Manson family, and a Lars von Trier movie all wrapped up in barbed wire, dipped in shit, (laughs) set on fire, and stuffed like an apple of pure evil into the mouth of a riding severed pig's head. Wow. That's intense. What What I like about that is he mentions like gangster rap, which I think is really, it's it's interesting because, um... A lot of like, a lot of like, when you think of music and crime, like, I think the like the one of the first things people think of is gangster rap. Like, it's it's all about. Oh rap. yeah. It's like, but most of those guys, like, it's it's an image. It's like it's their art. You know, they're, right. they're poets, they're artists. They're not very few gangster rappers are actual criminals. Right, actual gangsters. Yes. Yeah. So. When you look at black metal, it's it's interesting. It's like a lot of these guys were criminals. Right. Like they were they were really doing the stuff that they were singing about. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a really cool. I think it's a really cool description. Yeah. That, that they, that but I was in there. I was just reading it and I was like, oh, like okay. Yeah, like that, that really apple, um, the apple is setting into the pig's mouth. That yeah. <laughs> that's really setting yeah. uh, this stage for me here. But um, so that is. Um, the best description I found of the Norwegian metal scene and kind of like, yeah. So besides, you know, playing in bands, Faust also published a fanzine where he interviewed other members of the Norwegian metal scene. So this guy was like a big, he was a big part of the scene. And like many other, uh, you know, members of the Norwegian black metal scene or the metal scene in general, he had an apparent obsession with murder and violence now another member Comes of with the territory. right yeah exactly. So according to another member um, of Emperor Faust, quote, had been very fascinated by serial killers for a very long time, and I guess he wanted to know what it's like to kill another person. So I think sure. <laughs> I think you can kind of tell where this is going because you know who doesn't wake up some mornings and just <laughs> say you know maybe today's I wonder the day. what it's maybe like today's the day. yeah I wonder what it's like to kill someone. <laughs> So on August 21st, 1992, Faust was visiting his mother in Lillehammer, Norway, and went out one night for a few drinks at a local pub. 
Um, he arrived, decided the pub was too crowded for him. It wasn't really his scene. So he walked through a nearby park on his way home when he was approached by a man named Magne um, Andreasen. So according to Faust, and this is a quote, his words, this man approached me. He was obviously drunk and obviously a F word, which I'm not going there because I hate this word. And it's not the word fuck because, you know, I love that word. <laughs> it was obvious that he wanted to have some contact. Then he asked me if we could go into the woods. So I agreed because already then I had decided that I wanted to kill him, which was very weird for me because I'm not like this. I don't go around and kill people, end quote. But apparently that day he did go around and kill people <laughs> because when the two reached the woods, Fowl stabbed Andreasen 37 times with a knife he said he always carried in his pocket. Now, 37 times... That's, that's ridiculous. It might seem excessive, but according to Faust, he wanted to make sure he was dead. So he stabbed him 37 times. So that's one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> stabs him 37 times, walks away, is concerned that maybe the job didn't get done, walks back to his victim, and kicks him in the head repeatedly. He later said, quote, my intention was to take his life completely. I didn't want him to manage to live through this and go to a hospital and report me. It was easier to take his life and then go and hope everything would be okay. Because I... So it's just well thought. Well thought out. Right? Plan. I mean, okay. because there's not other ways to, right. yeah. like, find out who murdered someone. Right. But things were okay for about a year before Faust was, not surprisingly, arrested. And in 1994, he was sentenced to 14 years in jail. But he was released in 2003 after only serving about nine, uh, nine years and four months. Um, and then people were very upset after he was released from prison because he was essentially welcomed back into the metal community with very open arms he was almost celebrated, actually. His name would be listed individually on flyers for shows as if he was, like, some sort of special attraction. And no one, now. Yeah. Um, no one seemed to really care that he had brutally murdered this man in a total hate crime. But in a community with such a violent and morbid reputation, do we really feel surprised that... I mean, essentially, he was, like put on a pedestal for right, what he right. had done. And he yeah. didn't even try and feign any guilt for his crime. He uh, is quoted by uh, stating, there's no remorse. I took his life and I paid for it. It's not a big deal, at least not in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, we find that with a lot of these guys, very cold. When they when they talk about things they've done or crimes they've committed, it's very cold, very straightforward. They don't, they don't really mince words. But uh, it's always justified in their in the way they see things. They're they're like the laws that they give themselves. Oh, absolutely. And I I mean um, I didn't go into it you know too much in the actual story, but in um, research I'd done in the Lords of Chaos book, he goes pretty in depth into saying like how dare a homosexual man like approach me like that so it's, he truly thought that this man right. was in the wrong and deserved to yeah. be murdered for what he had done that's usually how the story goes it's it's you know someone someone pushed me to a certain point and then right. i took matters into my own hands right like, so it's not my fault right it was their fault yeah. 
you know, and I just did yeah. what I had to do kind of a thing. Yeah. And like a lot of these guys are, are like pretty hateful people. Like, um, like black metal today is very far removed from this certain time and this place in the scene. Um, you, you really don't see this stuff today, but, uh, at the time, yeah, there, uh, there was like some really problematic, like hateful and like nationalistic themes, uh, that some of these guys were involved in and, um, just, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> Satanism is one thing, as long as you're not like hurting anyone, you know, go wild. Right. But, Do uh, you? yeah, a lot of these guys did also have, um, unfortunately, um, just really, uh, you know, homo, like, like in this story, just like homophobic views, nationalistic views, um, sometimes targeting people as foreigners or homosexuals, you know, so. Yeah. Some um, were like communists. They right, like were self-proclaimed yeah. communists. Hmm. All right. So what do we have next? Next. Uh, so. Ooh, this something... is when I'm ex- Wait, is this. What... Yeah, this is. I'm excited for this yeah, one. So... Because I came across it throughout all my research and I was like, Steve's covering that. Like, <laughs> don't look so that you can be, you know, surprised Fre- yeah. by the. Fresh, uh, <laughs> fresh all right. So it's almost part and parcel to black metal. When people think about black metal, it's all always tied, you know, oftentimes with church burnings. Um, this refers to a stretch of time between like 1992 and 96, when there were about 30 separate cases of church burnings throughout Norway. And uh, I think there were a couple in Sweden as well. Um, so it's very much like we've talked about how a little bit about how these guys think of themselves as like soldiers in a war against Christianity and the church kind of spreading their ideals. Uh, and this is sort of a way that they see themselves pushing back at that. Um, so they, these kind of start in about 1992 with the burning of the Fantoft Stave Church in Bergen, Norway. Um, this guy, Varg Vikernes, is strongly suspected, never convicted of uh, this first burning. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's hinted at his, without out and out, you know, admitting guilt, he's kind of hinted at his role in this. Um, Tied and, for the street cred. Right, probably for the street cred. Um, so this kind of, this was kind of the big, it was covered in a lot of news stories. Uh, this is kind of like the, the impetus for what was to come in the, in the following years. This is kind of like the big, the, the match that kind of started this, mm. this uh, fire, you know. Um, so uh, this was actually, uh, they took a picture of this church, uh, the band Burzum that uh, Vikernes is part of. Uh, they used this for their uh, EP Aske, which is ashes in Swedish, I believe, um, or uh, Norwegian. Is, do they speak the same language? Ooh, don't know. All right. Well, I, I think it's I think it's Swedish. Um, Aske Ashes, and it's a uh, the album cover is just this picture of this burned out church, and um, you know they had actually done it themselves. That was uh, we're pretty sure. Um, so, uh, as far as cause or reasoning, uh, in an interview, Vikernes is. Again, careful not to admit to the actual burning uh, any culpability. Um, 
but he points to the date that it happened on June 6th. Um, on this date in the year 793 in Lindisfarne, Britain, this is uh, where the first ever recorded Viking raids took place. Mm. Um, there is a lot of like connection, the, the paganism, there's a lot of connection to the Vikings. And obviously, you know, the location geographically. Right, they're like right in the heart right. of it. And, you know, if you've seen pictures of these guys, they basically look like Vikings. You know, oh, 100%. Right. Yeah. So, they're pretty terrifying looking. So, you. yeah, he, he points to the date of the burning... June 6th, apparently in the year 793, uh, where these Viking raids took place, the Christian church in Britain at the time desecrated a number of Viking graves and burial mounds. So in his mind, uh, these burnings were a matter of revenge. So starting with that first date. Um, So this is very much a kind of reactionary thing. Mm. Just, you know, thousands of years later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, so in his mind, it was, it's kind of a revenge thing. Um, so, uh, like I said, th- this kind of st- sparked a... It, it sort of became almost an initiation kind of thing, um, like a way of proving your authenticity in the scene and kind of breaking into the scene. You know, if you burn down a church, like, no one's going to question your <laughs> your dedication. Right. You know, so... You're um, in. Right, yeah, it's automatic in. Um, so months after this first burning, um, Vicar, Vickerness is actually tied to about four separate burnings. Uh, the second uh, was performed along with uh, a friend of his, who we will be talking about later, Euronymous, of the band Mayhem, and someone you just talked about, Faust, from Emperor. Uh, all three of these guys, they're best buds. <laughs> they... Uh, traveled to Hol- Holman Colon Chapel uh, with the intention to bomb the building. Um, however, when they placed this homemade bomb of theirs on the altar of the church, it actually failed to detonate. So, you know, next best thing, they just burned, they, they doused a bunch of Bibles and gasoline and just kind of burned the whole church down that way, just the old-fashioned way. Which is way more metal than a bomb anyway. I think so. Right. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, I feel like that should have been, like, the first go-to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting into, like, Unabomber territory and, like, you know, (laughs) just just stick with the burning. Right. Good old-fashioned burnings. Because it's like a two-for-one. You're burning the church and you're also burning the Bibles, right? Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As a symbolism, (laughs) it just works. So, um, So, most of these cases... These, like, 30-some arson cases from 1992 to 96, most of them do involve people with some connection to the black metal scene, but it, it varies greatly. I, I think a lot of these turned out to be copycat cases, um, and all the media hype surrounding the first couple burnings probably paid a huge part in kind of spreading it throughout the country, um, you know, as these things often do. Um, so different different um, artists have different views. Not not every black metal artist is on board with these. Everyone has different views uh, on on the burnings themselves. Um, we do have I have a, a sound clip about of a this guy Gall from the band Gorgoroth, who kind of discusses the way he feels about these burnings. I think from this recording you'll see he's he's pretty much on board. 
think whether we like it or not, black metal in Norway is 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 known for uh, uh, a string of events that happened in the early 1990s around a series of arsons. I'm interested to know your thoughts on the actions of those events, the motivations behind those events, whether you agree with them, whether you disagree. Church burnings and all uh, all these things are, of course, a thing that I support 100%, and it should have been done much more and will be done much more in the future. We have to remove every trace from what Christianity and uh, uh, the Semitic roots have to uh, offer this world. Satanism is freedom for the individual to grow and to become the superman. Every man who's born to be king becomes king. Every man who's born to be a slave doesn't know Satan. I feel like I don't even know what to say, what to say right now, but I am definitely putting that clip on the blog as well because yeah. you just it's have to one. you have to see it. Like, I mean, it's pretty good hearing what he says, but you have so, to see him because yeah, he's... for the for the listeners, it's like it's a very dark video. He's just kind of shrouded in shadow, just sitting in a dark room. And sipping on this huge glass of wine, just it's like a like, goblet. But I imagine yeah. I I mean I'm creative, imaginative, if right. you will. I imagine that it's blood. In there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. And red. would we be able to put it past any of these? Right. It, it's red. Uh, I assume it's wine, but <laughs> sure. Uh, he actually. Uh, I'm gonna get into this a little later. He actually has a bit of a history with uh, goblets and blood and collecting blood in goblets so we wouldn't be too far off honestly yeah i'm I'm voting blood yeah okay (laughs) so so yeah just for for listeners like that that kind of i think that sound clip gives you a good idea of what we were talking about like how these guys just really a hundred percent take themselves seriously and it's you know we have a hard time like keeping a straight face listening to it but yeah these guys just from that clip you you know it gives you an idea like they absolutely take this seriously that monotone voice. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is really like that. This is like a really creepy dude. Um, but loves his wine, so we have that in common. Or blood. Or blood. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever you prefer. All right. So now we're moving into like the real grit of nice. some of these bands. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about Mayhem, which they were actually considered the founders of the Norwegian black metal scene. They were formed in 1984 in Norway, obviously. Um, So they all used stage names. Um, So here's just a few of my favorites from the various members over the years. Dead. Very... Simple and straightforward. I can appreciate right. that. Right, simple. Euronymous, Hellhammer, Necro Butcher. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Messiah, Maniac, also nice and straightforward. Mm-hmm. Blackthorn, and Morpheus. And that's just Morpheus. Morpheus. Yeah, <laughs> that's just I can, that's I can't just not a think few. Of the wow. I know. 
Spelled with an F, though. It was Morpheus. Oh, okay. P-H. I believe it was a P-H. Yeah, so this is... Matrix Morpheus. Morpheus with an H. Okay. I mean, with an H. With an F. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, you know, so those are, those are just a few. So, Steve, let's say Mayhem calls you today. Okay. And they want you to be part of the band. Yes, I can see What's your stage name? Oof. I know, I'm putting you on the spot. Jeez. Um... You know, I feel like it should somehow like embody who you are. Um, <laughs> man, I, I haven't I wanna, thought of one for myself, but yeah, okay. Well, why don't you you start mm. and then give me a second. Oh God, I don't know. Hmm, I feel like there's just like so many options. <laughs> yeah, some of them. It, it's it's like. It's almost like they, they pulled the handle on a slot machine. It's just like one of those name generators or something. Yeah, I wonder if there is like a black metal name generator like, yeah. or kind of like those stripper names where you pick right, like yeah. the name of your first the, pet. The street you grew up on. <laughs> and like, yeah. Yeah, those are great. But yeah, well, that's uh, a lot of these almost sound like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, uh, blood punch. Oh, blood punch is a good one. Could I do also, like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you keep thinking, okay. I'm going to carry on. So, you know, not surprisingly, they're part of this black metal scene. They earned themselves a pretty violent and gruesome reputation. We already went over, you know, their stage or their live performances and how intense they were. Um, but we're going to kind of dive in a little bit deeper into the story of their vocalist, Dead. He grew up in Stockholm, Sweden. His name was originally Per Olin. Um, he reportedly had an obsession with death. Not surprising and also makes sense given his stage name. And there's actually a couple events from his childhood that probably led to this obsess obsession. So firstly, he suffered from a condition called sleep apnea, which is a potentially serious sleep disorder in which breathing repeatedly starts and stops, and it can actually be fatal. And he also experienced a lot of bullying as a kid. So when he was 10 years old, he'd been beaten so badly by other kids that his spleen actually ruptured. He was emergently rushed to the hospital, and he was actually declared clinically dead for several minutes. But he did end up surviving, um, and after his recovery, he got into metal music and eventually formed a band called Morbid in 1986. But unfortunately, Morbid didn't go anywhere, and he eventually called it quits. But he still wanted to pursue his passion as a musician, so he reached out to Mayhem in a very unique way. He sent them a little care package, uh, which, include, which included a letter his demo tape, and a crucified mouse. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of sweet. It's sort of sweet in a way. I know. It might um, it might be worth trying for the next right. job that you apply for. I mean, it worked <laughs> out for him because a couple weeks later, he moved to Norway and he was their new vocalist. Yeah. That'd be, be an interesting like side job, just like um, black, black metal care packages. Oh, that actually like, would be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> You can yeah, send, you know, a severed finger or something. Yeah, you can like just send them anonymously to people. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no one expects a. It would make for a package. great Christmas gift. Yeah. 
While in Norway, Dead's obsession with death became more and more profound. He began wearing corpse paint a la Kiss and Alice Cooper, but according to Necro Butcher, the bassist at the time, it wasn't anything to do with the way Kiss and Alice Cooper used makeup. Dead actually wanted to look like a corpse. He didn't do it to look cool. Dead also began other strange rituals that made him feel more dead, like burying his clothes sometimes for weeks before a performance and then digging them up to wear them on stage. According to another member of Mayhem, Hellhammer, this was, quote, so they could rot and get that grave scent. <laughs> Again, this is like the method actors of metal, right? Absolutely. On one occasion, he supposedly asked his bandmates to bury him before a show so he could look as much, like as much of a corpse as possible on stage. Clearly, uh, stage sure. presence, stage presence was something that was very important to Dead. He began carrying dead birds with him on tour, and before he would start performing, he would sniff them so that he could have the stench of death in his nostrils. It sounds like a joy to be around. <laughs> Imagine that, that tour bus. Oh, man. I can't even imagine. Have, between the buried clothes and the dead animals, it just must have smelled great. It must have been horrific. <laughs> he also began to starve himself so he could look as skeletal as possible. He started telling his friends he wasn't human. He was actually a creature from another world. The blood in his veins was frozen and coagulated, and he actually was dead. He's like really trying to live up to this stage name here. Now, unfortunately, though it seems pretty clear, his bandmates were very aware of his disturbing behavior. No one actually ever sought professional help for him. In fact, Euronymous, another member of Mayhem, at, at, oh my gosh, excuse me, apparently began encouraging Dead to commit suicide. And on April 8th, 1991, Dead did just that at the age of 21 years old. He slit his throat and wrists and then shot himself in the head with a shotgun. Nice. Now, again, we already kind of talked about these conflicting sources, but one source says that the shotgun shells used in the suicide had been sent to Dead by Euronymous. Another says it was sent as a apparently non-malicious Christmas gift. By, speaking of Christmas gifts. That's a hell of a Christmas gift. <laughs> and not, but apparently it wasn't like in the same way Euronymous is trying to encourage his suicide. It was supposedly a friendly Christmas gift sent by sure. Varg Virkus, um, who was, you know, we talked about him briefly with the church burnings. Um, now, Dead's suicide note, well, part of his suicide note roughly translates to, sorry about all the blood, rock on. <laughs> Which That's I think, I mean, things right, if you're, yes. if you're going to go out, go, yeah. <laughs> might as well go yeah. out that way, right? I mean, Kurt, Kurt Cobain had his, like, long essay, this is just, like, cut and dry <laughs> to the point. <laughs> well, I think it was lengthy to an extent, but when I That's just came across... That's highlight. Right, yeah. yes, absolute highlight. I mean, do we have to say anything else? Right. Maybe that's all it should have been. I don't know. Yeah. It must have um, been weird news to get to. Just like, it's like, oh, you hear about dead? He's dead. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, no, no, he's dead. It's like, no, 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 he's dead, dead. Like, dead is dead. Right. You know? There was one... Like, um, a lot of confusion. Yes. There was um, one point when I was doing my research where, I guess, Euronymous was having a conversation with someone else saying, did you hear about dead? He went home 
And somebody was like, oh. like, back to Sweden? Okay. And he was like, no, oh. like, to hell. To hell. <laughs> so, he came. Yeah, exactly. So, now, we, we already know that Euronymous, you know, was kind of pushing for, you know, dead suicide. So, he actually was the one to discover Deb's body because they were living together at the time. And his first reaction was not to notify the authorities, but instead he left the apartment walked down the street, bought a camera, because, you know, it's 1991, there's no iPhones, Mm -hmm. and he came back to take pictures of Dead's body, which would later serve as the cover for Mayhem's bootleg live album, Dawn of the Black Hearts, which was released several years later. They love love photographing their crimes and then turning it into an album cover. Yep. Like, like, (laughs) that might not be the first thing you think of. Like, the first thing these guys think of is, like, what a badass album cover like i need this right like not calling the police he was even tampering with forensic evidence by moving the body around in order to get the best shot so (laughs) i will also put that up on the blog for any of you fucking sickos out there (laughs) that want to check that out um Apparently, Euronymous had also considered sawing off one of Dead's arms to be able to put it in a display case, but he decided against that because he was concerned that when authorities did arrive, they would be wondering where his arm was. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'd imagine, yeah, yeah, they probably would be. There will be questions. (laughs) Um, There's also a rumor that Euronymous made and consumed a stew containing Dead's brains so he could call himself a cannibal. Again, this is all about street cred and reputation with these people, right? Um, He made necklaces of his former bandmates' bone fragments. And as much as I want to chalk this up to just being a rumor, I mean, (laughs) given their history, I honestly don't really know. And again, in Lords of Chaos, um, Faust and Hellhammer, when being, you know, questioned about dead suicide... Um, both confirmed that this actually did happen, the stew and the, the bone necklaces. So, very, uh, uh, who very knows? Ed Gein. It is very Ed Gein. Making, he was the one making clothing out of people's bodies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, lampshades, you right. name it. Yes. He made it. I think it. he made a necklace, right? Out of nipples? Was that a, did that was he? a belt. I think he made a belt out of human nipples. Oh, really. that one I didn't know, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to be on Google later. Yeah, yeah. Right there. Um, <laughs> So, um, not surprisingly, there's also a rumor that dead suicide wasn't really a suicide and that Euronymous murdered him. When questioned about this, uh, Faust said that, you know, he did really commit suicide, but Euronymous told him that it was okay to let people believe that I might have done it because this will create more rumors about mayhem. So again, it's so hard to decipher what is and isn't true within this scene because regardless no of what happens yeah. and who was responsible, they want to take credit for it because... No one fully denies anything. No one fully denies anything. And even if, you know, something's not yeah. true, they still always, are taking credit for yeah. it because it's always, they want... It's always on the record, no. Off the record, maybe. maybe. <laughs> In their little accent. Yes. Maybe. Um, so Uranus Euronymous went on to say that Dead committed suicide because of the changes in the black metal scene, stating, quote, We have declared war. Dead died because the trend, the trend people have destroyed everything from the old black metal, death metal scene. Today, death metal is something normal, accepted, and funny, and we hate it. 
it used to be spikes, chains, leather, and black clothes, and this was the only thing Dead lived for, as he hated this world and everything which lives on it. End quote. However, the other Mayhem members didn't seem to be on the same page. Now, according to Hellhammer, he said Euronymous spread the rumor that Dead committed suicide because of the scene. That was not the reason for it, but he wanted it to look that way because he could make more money and make him look more evil than he really was. So it's pretty clear by now that Euronymous did little grieving over the loss of his bandmate, but instead saw it as a way to earn mayhem and even more shocking reputation. But people this cold-hearted have it coming to them, which leads to my next black metal tale. Drumroll, please. The murder of Euronymous. So by now we can obviously see that Euronymous is kind of a dick. He's encouraging his bandmate to commit suicide. He's exploiting the suicide by taking pictures for an album cover. So comes as no surprise that a few years after Dead's suicide, Euronymous was murdered. In addition to his involvement in Dead's suicide, he was also just generally disliked for being a homosexual and a comic. Um, not for being a homosexual, for hating on homosexuals and being a communist. Mm. So before we get into this crime, let's, let me give a little bit of background on Euronymous. So Euronymous was born, here we go, Oystein Asereth. Mm. Again, that's it doesn't probably... doesn't have the same weight. That's probably <laughs> completely butchered, but... He was a founding member of Mayhem, and as we kind of said before, you know, considered to be one of, like, the founding fathers of the Norwegian black metal scene. His original stage name was Destructor, but he soon changed it to Euronymous, which is a Greek occult title that means, quote-unquote, Prince of Darkness. So if that name is up for grabs, maybe I'll go with Destructor. Destructor. There you go. So Euronymous um, was stabbed to death on August 10th, 1991 by a man we've already spoken of quite a bit, um, Varg Vikernus, another member of Mayhem and surprisingly Euronymous's protege. Now when the two first met, Varg was in a band called Bruzum and he released several of his albums through Euronymous's label. Euronymous eventually asked Varg to join Mayhem as a bassist when Necro Butcher left. But animosity soon began to build up between the two. Supposedly, Euronymous owed Varg royalties from the release of Varg's uh, solo albums on Euronymous's label, though Varg later said the killing had nothing to do with money. Others thought the killing came from a power struggle for leadership within the scene. Like we said before, Euronymous was kind of considered like the king, quote-unquote. Um, and then there was a rumor that circulated that Euronymous was going to kidnap Varg and torture him to death and make a snuff film out of it. Nice. So Varg went to Euronymous's apartment to confront him and the two got into a scuffle that ended in Euronymous's death. So the story that Varg sticks to is that he killed Euronymous because he thought Euronymous was going to kill him. So essentially it was self-defense. Yeah. Yep. He states he showed up to Euronymous's apartment to confront him. Euronymous panicked in fear that he was going to be murdered, so he attacked Varg, and in the scuffle, Varg killed Euronymous. He recalls showing Euronymous no mercy, stating, You don't have mercy, 
You don't give mercy to someone who would never give it to you. He was just some scum who deserved no honor, no mercy, no nothing. And this then, is, this, I find it interesting because, like, at, at times they do sound like friends. Like, yeah, you well, know, you had even mentioned they were too. Burning churches together. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, what fun other black metal outing? You know? Yeah, that's some serious friendly bonding. Yeah, and then it comes down to, but I can't say that I blame Varg for taking this rumor that he was going to be, you know, the star of Uranus's snuff film. I. Like, he probably genuinely thought that that was really going to yeah, happen I mean, because I'm not putting it past Euronymous to actually... Right. Given these people's propensity for violence, like, yeah, I would I would take it seriously. Absolutely, yeah. Um, here is a little sound clip of, um, you know, Varg talking about, you know, the murder of Euronymous. And as you can pretty clearly hear in the clip, he doesn't seem to have much remorse, as we can tell, again, in that quote that I just said. But here's a sound clip straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, my name is Volker uh, Gvikanev, and I play in uh, Burtsen. The guy I killed intended to kill me, so I killed him before he managed to kill me. He tried, but he failed miserably. Obviously, he's dead. <laughs> so, I mean, he's, he's laughing about it, so I don't think he... He's really feels that yeah, badly. And again, he clearly thought that he had it coming to him because he was... Well, his story, I should say, is that he, you know, was afraid that he was going to get him first. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially, he tried to place the blame on people from the Swedish metal scene when questioned by investigators because there was apparently this big rivalry between the two country scenes and it was known that Euronymous did not get along with them. But apparently authorities like discovered that actually, you know, that was kind of over and done with by that point. So, you know, I think at that point they started to catch on to him. And then there was a 16-year-old Swedish girl who was living with Euronymous for some time. And she seemed to be the one to actually give Varg up, telling authorities that the feud between the Norwegian scene and the Swedish scene was over, as I said. Now, she told investigators she believed it was someone from the Norwegian scene, but she feared for her life in giving up the killer's name. It seems the following vague statement got police on the right track, though, because she said, I don't think he would have let a stranger into his apartment. That wasn't his style. That makes me even more sure about who the killer was. So nine days after Neuronymous is found dead, Varg was arrested, and the next spring was sentenced to 21 years in prison. Ultimately, it was decided at his trial that Euronymous's death had been a premeditated act. Apparently, um, and I, I don't really have all this written down. This is just what I was reading as I was going along. But apparently, there was they had um, rented this video that night. Apparently, it was a video that he had already seen. And there was a couple accomplices that they said, but they rented this video um, to use as an alibi. But apparently, it was a film that they had already seen so that if they were questioned they would already know what the movie was about so there were these reasons that made them that led them to believe that it was this premeditated act right but to this day you know i'll like varg seems to like be a youtuber sort of i don't know i found i found a couple videos 
of him, but, you know, he does still strongly hold on to the fact that, you know, this was in self-defense and he knew that if he didn't kill Euronymous, Euronymous was going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a fairly outspoken guy. There's a lot of, a lot of footage of him talking. And also, like, like old school Varg, he's like kind of a hunk. Like, you know, in like a Viking kind of way. <laughs> He but like, he didn't strike me as someone who looks very metal. At least yeah, in yeah. what at least in what I saw. Maybe I have to like look today, not so much. But uh yeah, like back in the nineties, like that shoulder length long hair. He was a babe, I think. <laughs> he was a babe. <laughs> Alright. Um so for the first album, I thought that this was kind of cool too. So for the first album released after Euronymous's death. Hellhammer had told the family he would personally redo the bass parts, but actually he lied and kept Varg's original bass on the tracks, stating, I thought it was appropriate that the murder and the vic- the murderer and the victim were on the same record. So I thought that that's pretty fucking cool that, you yeah, know, yeah. this someone who murdered someone else, like both of them are on, you know, an album together, which is weird, yeah. Also pretty fucking metal. Right. So that is that's mayhem. That's one mayhem. of like the the heaviest hitters in the Norwegian yeah. black metal scene. Yeah. As yeah. you can see why. Yeah, if you talk about like the big four. They're no fucking joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um another very big hitter in black metal uh is a band Gorgoroth, which kind of leads into my final story. Um, I'm going to be talking about the band Gorgoroth and its lead singer, this figure you have already heard, Gall, on that sound clip I played earlier. Um, so Gorgoroth is a, a another Norwegian black metal band. They were formed in 1992. Um, they are known for overtly satanic lyrics, imagery, and overall just their kind of satanic mission statement. Um, they were really kind of, they, they really kind of put on the map after a famous 2004 performance in Krakow, Poland. Uh, this, uh, they they were filming a DVD, like a live show concert DVD. And, uh, this concert, it was a bit like you were talking about a, uh, uh, what, you know, some of, some of the antics that Mayhem would do on stage. This is something sort of similar. Um, they had, they displayed sheep's heads on spikes. None were thrown out into the crowd, but, uh, they had heads on spikes, uh, satanic symbols everywhere. There was a bloodbath using 80 liters of sheep's blood. Four nude models displayed on crosses in mock crucifixion. It was just... Holy shit. Throughout the whole, yeah... (laughs) So you can, can we now, find a time machine and go back to the yeah. 90s and just go to one of these shows? Right. Well, I feel like it's an experience. You can <laughs> take the time machine of the internet and uh, this actually this whole show is uh, this whole concert is on YouTube. You can find it. Oh shit. You'll have to send that to me so I can put it on the blog yeah, too. Yeah. You just look up Gorgoroth 2004. You should find this performance. It's like as far as a stage show, I mean it's really well put together. I mean it's like full on, almost like like Broadway level, like like as far as a stage production. Like, it's oh, actually wow. pretty, you know, pretty cool. Like it's a light show, 
everything is just put together really well. Um, like I said, there are these like four nude models up on crucifixes. Um, I don't know how you get that gig, but they were just standing up at the whole show, not moving. Yeah, like, just... is that something that like you see on Craigslist? And you're right. like, I yeah. can do that. I mean, not that Craigslist was a thing back then. Right, yeah. But... Um, I guess it takes a special kind of person. But um, but yeah, so it, it's just this bizarre, crazy stage show. Um, it's worth checking out. Yeah, it's pretty long, but just to see like what the stage looks like, I definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, really cool. Uh, the police didn't so much think so. <laughs> um, I bet not. <laughs> an investigation followed this oh, concert geez. after accusations of religious offense, which is prosecutable under Polish law, uh, as well as animal cruelty. Um, the band was never actually charged as they were unaware that anything was considered like absolutely illegal. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure they had an idea that you know they were kind of pushing boundaries oh, yeah. as far as legality. Like they weren't they weren't killing these animals on stage. They were just you know they were using already dead sheep's sheep heads and things like that. Right, which and just blood. brings me to mention something because I know I had read something about mayhem and their their pig heads on spikes, and apparently mm. like they got them super cheap from like a butcher shop. Right, right, yeah. But then just like an interesting piece of information to sneak in there is that apparently a fan like picked a piece off of like the pig head wow. and ate it and like got really sick Ooh. because apparently it had been at this butcher shop for like an extended yeah. period of time. Yeah, and just sitting out. <laughs> Just rotting. Oh man! I'd imagine that's one of the fans that they wanted at their shows. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, the that, one that, over that there is... eating the pig head yeah. can stay. <laughs> that that guy's cool with us. We, he can chill with us. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, the footage. This, like I said, this was they were filming a DVD. This was like a live concert DVD. Um, footage was confiscated by the police, uh, but was officially released in two thousand eight. So, like I said, like you can you can actually find it now. Uh, the whole show is on YouTube. Um, the organizer of the show was fined ten thousand Polish zlotki, which is around two thousand seven hundred U.S. dollars. Um, so, not, like, not not that much, but not bad. Um, but <laughs> as a result, yeah, no, he probably had some bad. regrets. Right? Yeah. Um, as a result, the band was dropped from their uh, their label, Nuclear Blast. Um, which is a, a big, big metal label. A lot, of, a lot of big metal bands on that label. I wonder if that was a legality thing too. Not like necessarily a legality thing, but like. Hmm. I yeah, um, it's it's tough. Like, cause like. I wonder if they just didn't want to be involved because they were causing legal issues. Because right. I feel like sometimes. I think I think the the label was actually putting on like they were responsible for the tour, so I imagine. Uh, like all I could see was like uh, the organizer was fined, but I imagine like the the label Nuclear Blast probably caught some flack as well. Yeah, like, they you know they, I think they just kind of saw the band as a liability at that right. point. Right, and I guess that's more of what I meant like than a legality right, thing. But right. they probably because you would think like if it's this big metal label, mm-hmm. is it not that they would kind of want? Yeah, it's free you know press. a band and like yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh so. Yeah, they, they were probably, I imagine they were conflicted. Because, like, they're a metal label. Like, they probably want a certain reputation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, if it's, if it's messing with their bottom line, I imagine they, they probably had something to say about that. 
So, so yeah, they were they were dropped from the label, and uh, that current tour I think ended right after that show. Um, so that was that kind of put them. I mean, they they were like I said, they formed in 1992. They were a well established band by that point, but um, this really kind of put them on the world stage and just really kind of put them on the map. Um, so that's the band Gorgoroth. Uh, their lead singer is really interesting, dude. Gall. Uh, he joined in 1998, so this is like right before the the big notorious concert. So he was a part of that show. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he was. Yeah, he was a singer for that show. Um, I imagine had a lot to do with you know the whole stage setup and mm. just just judging by things I've seen from this guy, and like what you've heard. Um, so this guy Gall is uh, just one of those, like I said, like the method actors of metal. Like, he really fully is in it, um, in his own world. Um, he has a long history of violence and has a number of assault charges um, that have been filed against him. Uh, the first charge took place in uh, 2000, I believe. Um, in 2001, he received a one-year prison sentence for this assault. It took place in 2000. Um, there was not a whole lot of information I could find about this first assault, only that it apparently lasted for hours. Oh, jeez. Um, and the court described Gaul's use of violence as, quote, extremely raw and be- beautiful. <laughs> not beautiful. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> extremely raw and brutal was the word I was looking for. Um, and Maybe beautiful to Gaul, I'm to sure. To Gaul, I'm sure he was loving it, yeah. Um, so like, like we've said earlier, you know, there are conflicting stories. Um, the, the victim has one side and Gala has his side. Uh, the second assault, uh, there's a little bit more information on, um, just spend a little bit more time on that. Um, so for the second assault, he was sentenced to 14 months in prison and had to pay an equivalent of $30,000 in damages for aggravated assault of a 41-year-old man that he met at an after-hours party. Uh, the victim's identity was never revealed by any news outlets or media, and as always, there are two conflicting stories of the night's events. So I'm going to start with the victim side of the story, uh, according to the victim, he claims he attended an after-hours party in February of 2002. Uh, he ended up somehow in a verbal disagreement with Gall. Apparently, apparently he had no idea this was a terrible choice. <laughs> this is just not the kind of guy you not want to... Not the person you want to fuck no, with. No. So, uh, he, after this altercation took place, he attempted to leave the party, but was blocked at the door by Gall. Uh, and while... Gaul was, was holding him in the house. He all of a sudden feels a hard hit on the back of his head, and he immediately went down. Lights go out. Uh, so he was basically held captive. Uh, violence increased as the night went on. He claims that Gaul said, I'm going to sacrifice you. I'm going to drink your blood. <laughs> so uh, this is where, you know, we're not sure what he's drinking in that interview. But it could this, be this man's blood. This could be this man's blood. So apparently, according to the victim, Gaul collected his blood into a cup or a goblet or something. Um, eventually, he managed to escape uh, to his car and he drove away. I don't know if Gaul just lost interest or just felt like he had done enough. I don't know. 
But but now we know for sure he drinks blood. Possibly. So there is another side to the story. So um, I wanted to start Gaul's side of the story with a sound clip of him just kind of talking about this assault and uh, just sort of his approach. All of them have been acknowledged as uh, self-defense, actually. So, and uh, better that I've uh, crossed borders. It's like with a painting; you uh, don't stop until it's finished. And do you think uh, your punishment methods have been effective? Of course, these people aren't going to attack you again, but. Do you think you removed the, the, the sickness from their mind that would allow them to do this in the first place? Or do you think you've just perpetuated it? Let's uh, put it this way. If they, if they were a bad seed, they wouldn't spread it. I can't, <laughs> I cannot help but laugh. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, he seems to be the wrong person to be laughing yeah, at but endlessly quotable this guy just and again like just he's just in the, like in the shadows of yeah. this video yeah I, and this is like a different interview this is like a different video and a different interview but same lighting right? same shadow just like this guy is just like this weird mythical like figure he's I, like, I very, cannot believe this guy's like, real he's very vampire yeah yeah definitely i get a, I get a Big vampire vibe. Yeah, yeah, like the Bram Stoker version. Yes. Movie. <laughs> yeah, very much. So, so again, like you know, like you were saying earlier, very little remorse. They, they, uh, a lot of these guys, it's, you know, they just do not care. Yeah, their stories. It's always you know, I was pushed to a certain point. You know, this guy crossed my boundaries, and I reacted. You know, and you know, I punished him as I saw fit. You know, they they very much live by their own set of laws and you know it obviously doesn't rarely matches up with uh the laws of the land (laughs) so according to his court testimony the 41 year old man came to the party uninvited so party crasher um and he was the one that was his first mistake right first mistake but again like this is just after our parties are never good Right. The bars right. close at 2 a.m. for a reason. Exactly. Go home. Yeah, nothing, not, not too much good happens after 2 a.m. Nope. You can, yeah, as we'll see here. So, so according to Gall, this guy was the one to incite the violence. Um, a quote from the, I believe it is the court transcript, he, uh, Gall says, He jumped on me and threw me down in a chair. I also remember getting my head banged against the wall. He kept hitting me without stopping. The last thing I remember is that I fell down on the couch and that I lifted up my arms to protect myself. After that, I may have lost consciousness. The next thing I remember is standing on the floor and they say the guy's name, but obviously it wasn't released by the court or news, so it's just a blank. Uh, The man was sitting in a chair. At the time, he was bleeding pretty heavily. So in Gaul's version of the events, this guy attacked him. He was the aggressor. So, uh, you know... Two completely opposite stories. Um, when asked to explain the severe injuries sustained by the alleged victim, Gall claimed not to know what had happened after he <laughs> lost consciousness, and any account on his part would be pure speculation. So, 
you know. So he just blacked out blacked and went out into and some sort of a rampage. I guess, yeah. And According can't be no. held accountable for anything right. because he doesn't recall what happened. So, hmm. yeah, just just iron tight alibi there. You know, can't poke any holes in that. Um, <laughs> I'm like picturing him too, like saying that in his usual like shadowed right. lighting with yeah. a goblet of blood Zero just like finger. i don't know what happened yeah i do not know what happened yeah once i get the blood that's in more me, of an italian accent yeah. I, guess. Yeah. I should just you know what <laughs> i'm not even gonna yeah. go there yeah i apologize to any actual eastern europeans for any accents i'm doing this is just my approximation of eastern europe uh just all kind of mixed into one it makes the quotes more interesting yeah exactly there you go um, so according to Gall, he claims that he gave the victim the cup of blood just to collect his blood himself <laughs> so that he didn't make a mess on the floor. So just to save the carpet. So, so you know, really it was just a matter of good housekeeping. <laughs> just, you know, Gall has a nice carpet, doesn't want all the blood getting on it. So he, uh, just collected the blood in a cup cause that's the most logical thing to do when you want to keep blood off your floor i don't even have words when trying to analyze these two stories side by side because right. it, it's so like it's not even like they're close like there's not just, even a... like there's one version and then there's like it's like black and white just like it, they don't match up at all so like you know someone's lying and i don't know the gall blacking out and not having an idea what happened is yeah. just not not the best way to approach. I think my vote life. would be for gall lying. But then again, I think yeah. if I'm, you know, the authorities are part of the trial in any way, shape, or form, and I'm seeing him probably somehow in shadowed lighting wherever he goes, like with the little, he brings his like shadow a black, with him. Yeah, yeah. like hovering over him with that like ridiculously monotone voice and him saying yeah. that and me just being like okay <laughs> <laughs> because there doesn't seem to be any arguing with this guy like no um yeah he's a real strange bird um in the in the documentary that that sound clip came from uh one of the interviewers like by the end of the documentary they they say something to him um, this is a this is a Vice documentary. You can you can look it up. I think the whole thing's on YouTube. I'll put this on the blog Worth too. That out. way, everything yeah. is kind of all together. So all the yeah. like supporting, um, you know, stuff for this episode can all be in one place for you guys to check out at hexfilescollective.com. Um, yeah. So so yeah, Vice did this really cool documentary on just Norwegian black metal, and it heavily features Gaul and Gorgoroth. And um, like I said, towards the end of the documentary, like the very last scene, they say something to him that he doesn't like. And they just like get on his bad side. And he, he says, you know, he says something like, um, like, I don't feel like you are hearing me. I don't feel like you are really accepting what I am saying. And, you know, the, the interviewer starts to kind of backtrack and like, you know, he obviously you know he's all you've heard all these stories about this guy so he he gets kind of pissed at something they say and just like stops answering their questions and the documentary ends with this guy gall 
again, sitting in his regular lighting, sipping on wine, just or staring blood. or blood, staring at this at the camera, like for a solid, like I swear, three minutes, which is an etern in an interview is an eternity. Just staring, dead eyed, does not blink once. I like I checked. I like went back. <laughs> Does not blink once is for a solid human? three minutes. I don't know. So and just stares in silence at the camera. And I, I guess the interviewers are just like, all right. Like I, I, they just kept the camera going, and it, it's it is bizarre. Like you have to see it. Like you could skip everything else and just see this last clip. It's just him dead eye staring into the camera for three straight minutes, and occasionally sipping on his wine and or blood. Just it is bizarre. <laughs> Need to see it. And this, um, I didn't watch the whole documentary, but I believe, like when the journalists were going to his house, they're the first. I believe they say that they're the first journalists to ever like yeah. sit with him yeah. in his very yeah. Home I think he's a very private, very private guy. Yeah, and they're like um, on his like farm out in the middle yeah. of like the countryside um, that apparently his family has owned for it's, generations. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. It's they he he takes them up to like a shack, some like shack that his family has owned for many years, and it's like up on some mountain. And so like the film crew is like following Gaul up into this snowy mountain, and eventually like some of the guys start falling off. Like they're like they're freaking out. They're like I can't take this. Like we're risking our lives up here, and like his and like his conditions are getting bad. Like you see like the the camera is getting pelted with snow and everything. It's like it's it's getting like pretty bad. And he this guy like Gall just takes them on this like hike for hours and hours and like just slowly you see the film crew just start to deteriorate and just like oh I don't know what we're doing man. They say they start freaking out. But, it's probably um, purposeful too. Like he oh, was yeah, gonna see yeah. like, will you? Are you still right. gonna like? How yeah. much will you tolerate before you just exactly, go yeah. the fuck home <laughs> and leave me yeah. alone in my Dracula a very, like a very castle? Yeah, absolutely. So as you can see, the black the European um, black metal scene is pretty intense. Yes. So, and, you know, I, I want to remind you, like, this, again, everything we've talked about today is very much kind of in this this certain time in black metal. Um, black yeah, metal it hasn't really is, carried over. Yeah, black metal today is very much just about the music. It's actually, there's a lot of interesting things going on in the genre. It's getting, it's hitting a certain age where it's getting very experimental. There's a lot of, um, actually, like, kind of growing popularity right now. Um, it's... Uh, bands that are kind of weaving black metal elements into their music and uh it's, it's actually some really interesting stuff going on in the scene right now and um you really don't see this kind of stuff anymore in the scene it's very much just kind of about the music now there's very little like actual satanist like um elements to it anymore it's, it's kind of far removed from the kind of 90s scene that we're talking about today yeah i feel like i don't think this kind of activity can could really hold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because eventually I would think that there would be no one left because not right. only yeah, are yeah. they, you know, murdering random people, they're <laughs> they also murder murdering each yeah. other. Yeah. People within <laughs> yeah, their no one left. Yeah. yeah, people within their own band. Like literally no one is safe. Yeah. So <laughs> clearly not something that would have a lot of sustainability. Right. As far as a musical genre, but I mean, it's always so interesting to touch on the history 
behind yeah. certain types of music and kind of see, you know, where it all came from. And that's yeah. really this what... Is, this, is what I, this is what I love. This is what I nerd out about. I love, I love like, tracing music back to its roots. And just kind of, like, who, was, who were the first people to do it? And, because, uh, like, the story's always better. Like, it's, like, people who were the first ones to do it. And, you know, a lot of, you know... Right, because there tends to also be, like, more of an edge to it when it right. initially, you know, came yeah. out and before it kind of got any, like, mainstream right. attention. Like, obviously, this would have not been a genre of music that would have seen any mainstream attention had it carried on you know the way that it had or i mean if it did it would have been mainstream attention and and not and not a good way at all it would just be news stories and not actual like respect yeah yeah for the music itself but I'm so glad we finally got to do that episode. Yeah, it seems yeah. like it was such a long time yeah, coming. And yeah. yeah, seriously. But we did it. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming onto the show yeah, today. For I'm sure me. you'll be coming on again in the future. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks. Thank you. And there you have it, guys. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much to Steve for coming on the podcast. We are already in talks of a new episode, so you guys are going to be hearing from him again soon. And of course, a big thank you to everyone out there listening and supporting this podcast. It really does mean a lot to me. Um, If you guys liked this episode, if you like this podcast in general, please take the time to rate and review us. It really means a lot to me. It helps the podcast gain exposure so we can, you know, gain more and more listeners. Don't forget to check out hexfilescollective.com. That is our blog, and that is where I'm going to be posting all the supporting media that we kind of discussed throughout the episode. You can find that there, in addition to cool content that myself and the rest of the collective posts in between podcast episodes. Other than that, we'll see you again next month when the moon is full. Bye now.